Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Art of Self-Reliance show. In this episode, I speak to adaptable mindset expert, Robert Overvach. Robert is the founder of the Adaptable Mindset Program and has a diverse experience from art, design, technology, corporate innovation, and startup building. In his career, he has supported companies in their digital transformation from eBay, Vodafone, Liberty Global, to Heineken. He currently supports Heineken in their transformation with a strong focus on individual empowerment. As a design director, he built the design department of the tech company Triple from the ground up, while forming a team and a shared vision. Along the way, he has built a few startups. Robert is also a sought-after international speaker and has spoken at MIT, SXSW, and the European Commission, where he often talks about how to positively use technology for the betterment of people and the world. In this episode, we discuss why do we need adaptability, how do we develop adaptability, and how to adapt to a world that is constantly distracting. So Robert, here's my first question for you. When you hear the words self-reliance, what does that mean to you? Yeah, I think it used to mean that you're being able to take care of your own food, you know, your own shelter, these sort of things. Uh, but that's not something new. And that's also something that we're very far apart from. What I think, which is something new, is that we aren't even reliant on our own thinking anymore. You know, who can think for themselves? I think we live in this, <clears throat> excuse me, we live in an illusion of independent thought. You know, our education, we outsource our education. Uh, when we are at school, we learn more about compliance than freedom of thinking, freedom of thought. And when we look at our media consumption, social media or the news, it also very much influences our thinking. And if you just consume what you're being served, then you could ask the question, you know, uh, are you being self-reliant? Uh, on your knowledge if you just accept everything at um, at face value and if we look at how society is now being set up how people uh, move through life and how they experience their work a lot of people feel that the work is meaningless uh, a lot of people feel like uh, burnt out or or or, or anything in in that uh, aspect so we are in a sense numbed a bit and i think this the segregation from what we can be, what we could be, that is something which makes us not so self-reliant. Um, so yeah, we have all of these things um, which don't really help you anymore. And I think we created like a, a society full of, um, full of support. And I think there's a beauty in there that it feels safe, but it's also like a fake safety. Um, it's not really safe and we've become sort of yeah sheep or paralyzed in our in our current dynamics and we we don't have not a lot of people have the ability to adapt to evolve to find fresh perspectives uh, because you know all the systems around us the structure around us doesn't support yeah doesn't support that exploration doesn't support that way of uh, way of thinking so I'm in alignment with everything you said. It's kind of where my mindset is. It's one of the reasons why I started the show, because I wanted to talk to people just like you that were bringing in this fresh perspective and not just kind of the status quo. 
And, you know, if, if, as you noted before we started, you've listened to some of the episodes. They, those might have been, for example, like John Viveki, where he talks about the meaning crisis or Charles Eisenstein, which highlights m- much of what you said. And it's, it's, it's an important topic, I think, at this moment in time, because we're going to have to find a way to become self-reliant, not in some kind of narcissistic, all about me kind of way, right? Because I think that's a lot of times where people go when they hear that. But definitely, as you noted, the ability to align ourselves with what is important to us. And if we're going to get from point A to point B, can we actually get there on our own? And this kind of builds into where I think your expertise lie is in this idea of adaptability. And I think that's an incredibly important attribute to be able to develop as a person. So speak to me a little bit about why do we actually need adaptability? From your perspective, why is it even necessary? Yeah, sure. Um, So adaptability is about always being able to find fresh perspectives. You know, it's about being able to um, get away from the tug of the of of the world, of social media, of news, of finding your own path in life. Uh, It's about being able to deal with the constant flow of information, the stressors. So. And then, yeah, ask yourself the question, do you think that a lot of people have the skills to you know, learn on their own, that have the skills to adapt? And I've been working with large organizations and universities for a while, and I saw like almost everyone is stuck in their ways, you know, stuck in their, like, like they're on a rail and that they're just going to continue on that rail. But that rail, that railway isn't going to lead anywhere like better or, or fun. Like hardly anyone is having fun in life or is actually experiencing it. And so the, the other day I got an email uh, from someone who did our online program who said, uh, yeah, so I'm going to now, thanks to the program, I'm going to integrate uh, my creative side with my more technologically oriented side of my work. I'm like, you, what, you weren't doing that? <laughs> like people live like, like these compartmentalized life yeah but you see it in business as well you know everything is in the vertical he is responsible for support he is responsible for marketing and and the people don't talk with each other and and they're not yeah aligned with what they find meaningful they're not aligned with what what energizes them and i think that yeah that that is the foundation that is the basis of i think why we're stuck how much do you feel that the system itself plays into this, that the system creates this kind of non-adaptability, puts people in silos, makes them only responsible for certain things, and they don't communicate with each other. Because again, it's not to say that everything is bad about the modern world or even technology for that matter, but it definitely seems to me that, you know, with more technology definitely hasn't become more happiness. If anything, we have disintegrated even more, we've separated even more. And it almost seems like it's built in the system as a way to keep us controlled, to keep us under the thumb of capitalism and consumerism. So I do want to say that a large part of it is the system that you're in. The the environment has a large influence on you. Um, But at the same time, I believe a lot in the empowerment of individuals. So if you want to make a change, then you can make a change. Look at, for an example, uh, Satoshi Nakamoto. You know, he or a team invented Bitcoin, and now it's here. Or look at uh, the lady, I forgot her name, but she invented EMDR, you know, a way to treat post-traumatic stress disorder. So it is possible to make a change, 
even in structure, structures and systems which are not really conducive to, to change. Um, but it is damn hard. That is true as well. It is damn hard to do it in corporate environments. I'm not necessarily sure if it is due to technology, because if you look in the Web3 space, there is a lot of openness and adaptability there. So I think a large part has to do with, I think, mindset. No, it's how we use the technology and not how we are being used by the technology because currently it's like that. And currently we are yeah, almost enslaved by the corporate systems, like how we have meetings, uh, how we're being rewarded and all of these things. Yeah, I'm not sure if they, um, if they work anymore. Yeah, no, I can see that. That's, that's, that's incredibly insightful. I guess what I was thinking about there, it's maybe seems different, but I'll get your take on it, but I think it's connected. So outside of what I do academically, you know, as a social scientist and uh, the show, of course, and, and other things, I'm also a martial arts teacher. And I found that that's one of the places that I can, as a person, affect change and allow people to become adaptable in your words, right? Partly because at least as a martial arts teacher, and at least how I set up the environment, the people that come to me, we are all on the same playing field. We all on the same level where we are not working with titles. We're not, you know, putting one person against the other person. Actual fact, we want each person to see the other person as part of the learning process, right? So if we think in a martial arts setting, if I come in and I dominate everybody on the floor, Sure, maybe my ego feels good for a while, but nobody's going to want to train with me and nobody else learns and nobody else becomes adaptable, right? So the model that I typically use here is I, the easiest way to explain it, and I'll be brief and then you can give me, give me your take on it, is one of the things that I started noticing is that the biggest obstacle to adaptability in actual fact was the fear of making mistakes, so when I think about adaptability at the top of, say, training martial arts, because people ask me that, like, hey, Rodney, what do you think is the most important attribute for a person to develop in martial arts? I would often say adaptability. And then the next question would be, well, how do you actually develop? How do you create adaptability? And the way that I would see it is that, well, you know, adaptability only arises out of innovation. And innovation is, you know, that ability to see new novel opportunities in that moment in time. Well, the only way that you're going to be innovative is you first have to be creative, right? So you have to play with things to come up with new and novel ideas. If you want to be creative, the, the, the bottom line is in order to be creative, and this is the paradox about creativity, at least the way that I see it, is that you have to be in a place where you can fail, where you can make a mistake, where the consequences of making that mistake isn't so high that you pay the ultimate price. So in martial arts, it might be you getting seriously hurt or getting locked out. In an organizational setting, it might mean you get fired. And so I'm wondering also in that sense that, and it's definitely something I am very well acquainted with, I'm sure you are coming from the Western world, is that we teach our children from a very young age that making mistakes is a bad thing. You know, that actually, even if you think about a report card, right? If I come home with a report card to my parents, typically this is how it goes, right? You've got all these really good marks and then you've got a couple of ones that you didn't do so well in. 
what do they tend to do? They focus on the bad, right? It's like none of the good really mattered, but I'm going to focus on the bad, right? You, you messed up, you made mistakes. That's where the focus goes. So you kind of learn early on that you don't want to make mistakes. And then part of that thing that you were saying about keeping safe, not stepping out of that safety is part of just trying to stay safe, right? Because it feels unsafe when you step out into creativity. It's, it's, it is something that feels completely unsafe, but if you've never taught people that in order to be creative, they need to be willing to fail, I don't think creativity arises. Yeah, 100%. And I, and I totally agree with all of the aspects that you mentioned. So I wrote down a couple thousand points that we can go into. Um, so indeed, w- when you want to develop adaptability, doing it through sport can be very uh, valuable uh, because... Uh, it teaches you, it can teach you about uncertainty, you know, about ambiguity. So I did a lot of kickboxing for five years. I was scared shitless doing that uh, because you're sparring with all these gigantic blokes. Um, but it also teaches you to deal with these forms of anxiety. I was afraid of height. So I started to go uh, rock climbing, you know, to better deal with your own emotional uh, aspects to, 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 train that flexibility. And there's a lot of research as well that says, for example, if you do strength training, that you will become less anxious because a stronger body, stronger muscles uh, equals a a stronger mind as well. So sometimes I just say to people, do what you like, do what you love when it comes to sport, just live life and be more aware of what you can borrow from it, what you can bring back to your yeah, more more uh, physical life when you're just sitting or when you're working. So for you, it's, uh, I think, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu, right? And yeah, you also learn about flow there. And you learn uh, another thing uh, when it comes to sport is that you learn to be, you know, when you need to compete, you need to feel like a king. You know, you need to, you need to train that ability, but you also need to be very humble in the gym. So there's this balance as well that you can explore and this sense of ambiguity. And recently I was exploring uh, Tyson Fury and, um, and Wilder. And, and in sports, actually in, in UFC, MMA, all of these things, people, they work with uh, pseudonyms. You know, everyone has their own specific character. Tyson Fury, the gypsy king. So and if you are able to lure, uh, yeah, work with a character, you know, your character fails. That's okay, man. It's not you. You, you don't internalize it. So, and I think sports is... It's such a great way to, to just experiment. But you can do the same in gaming. You can do the same with movies. You can do the same with art. But it's about being open to that possibility and to that ability to then internalize that. And that will only make you stronger and create like a larger neural network in your head of all possibilities and abilities that you can tap into. So building off that, so one of the things that I noticed when I started bringing this into my coaching, right? So what I wanted to see is exactly as we've been talking about building adaptable players. Initially, in the beginning, nobody wanted to be adaptable, right? Nobody wanted to be creative. They would instinctively go to power. They would instinctively go to using what they feel is their strongest asset, right? And so at times they might overpower people, but you know they're always going to meet their match. And then when that no longer works, they don't have anything else there, right? There's nothing else, nothing else available. And the reason there's nothing else available is because they haven't been creative and then no innovation happens and then adaptability never arises. So one of the things, again, that I think is very important, and this is equally for organizations, and, and I work with organizations too, 
you need to create a system where it's okay to experiment, right? I mean, because unless you're experimenting, how are you ever going to get to that place where you're going to be adaptable? And I'm going to come back to that point again, which I think is very important, is that there needs to be built within that, that it's okay to risk. It's okay to try something and it doesn't work out. The question really is if it doesn't work out is, you know, now you have to go back and you have to reflect why that is, but you still need to be able to do that. Now, of course, there are going to be situations where that's not going to be possible, right? You don't want to be standing at an open door of an aircraft and now, you know, start playing around with jumping out the plane and hoping that the parachute's going to come out when it's supposed to come out, right? And then hoping that you actually packed it properly because there's still fundamentals, there's still foundations. You still have to, you still have to follow a certain thing in order to stay alive, right? But in many cases, I think that's the thing that you were talking about mindset is that we often fuse to the thoughts that we have and they become reality. And then what happens is we feel that the outcome, the, the, the aftermath of that is going to be dire. And in actual fact, most times, the things that we most worry about often work themselves out. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. And, um, w- but what I see happening in these larger organizations is that you know, they say, uh, just like a startup, you can experiment, man, you can fail. Of course you can. But at the same time, you need to mm. still obtain your KPIs, your key performance indicators. And if, if you don't, um, obtain that goal you're still in a lot of issues you're still in a lot of problems so uh, leadership creates like these ambiguous weird situations where they say one thing and uh, you know you're measured in in a different way and when you speak about the the aspect of jumping out of, out of a plane what we do with organizations is we teach them how to take smaller risks so instead of taking uh, like a large leap and invest 200k in a specific project, like uh, you can also do it with new type of tooling, like no code prototyping. And it costs you only like 10k to do these smaller experiments. And this takes away the uncertainty, the ambiguity, the fear, and creates just more of a, yeah, of a flow where people feel like they can experiment. But even if you say to people that that is the case, often people don't believe it because for so long it hasn't been the case so that could be due to environment but it could also be due to people it's just also how your mind works like change can engender fear and that can put you into risk at least that's what your mind thinks but the paradoxical thing here is is that you know if you're not experimenting if you're not open to new things with the breakneck speed of technology with how everything is changing you need to experiment. Otherwise, you'll be in a way more dire situation. Mm, that's, that's a really good point because I was just thinking that too, right? And a lot of people don't realize this is that when we talk about the human brain, it's really, if you want to define it simply, it's a do not get killed device. And so it's always looking for certainty and safety. And everything you're talking about and everything I'm talking about is the complete opposite to that, right? Yeah, yeah, but I think uh, you should match it with uh, people's uh, psychological profile. You know, maybe we are on the spectrum of one to ten of of seeking out ambiguity, uncertainty. Uh, we are probably trained in that. But if you are totally not trained in that, maybe you can you can take like these gradual steps, right? But you do need to do it in a very very conscious way. So maybe not go skydiving like tomorrow, but maybe seek out like maybe rock climbing or do something else. Um, something which is not scrolling on your phone, watching Netflix and these sort of things, you know, these things, they, yeah, they suck you more into something that you, yeah, maybe not want to be. 
Hmm. So when we talk about how do we develop adaptability, I mean, would you say that one strategy could be to possibly not necessarily try to create it immediately within the environment you're in, because maybe it's just not possible or you're too afraid to do that, but you might want to look outside, right? Find something else that will challenge that adaptability within you so that you, in a way, start developing your adaptability muscle, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, so you can do it physically, like get the body moving, do yoga, uh, kickboxing, whatever, strength training, all of these things, create cognitive flexibility. You can do it through breathing, uh, breathwork exercises, all of these things, but also to connect again to what you find meaningful and what energizes you, you know, the, the stuff that you maybe were doing as a kid, maybe it was drawing, maybe it was singing, maybe you always dreamt to be uh, like a director, but probably you stopped somewhere people always stop in or they never even pursued it uh, but these are the things you know connect to the things that have always pushed humanity forward you know, it can be in philosophy art movies games doesn't really matter whatever resonates with you and do more of that in a structural way so replace all of the all of the crap in a sense you know mm -hmm. all of the doom scrolling and the unnecessary things replace it with the stuff that gives you energy so you'll create like a larger lattice work of ideas and like actively expand your frame of mind because the rest of the world is sort of trying to narrow your frame of mind. That is also what uh, naturally happens, you know, when you age. So you need to expand it. And that can be, like I said, through the bodily uh, movement or it can be by the mental training. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people, the, the issue that they find themselves confronting is fear, right? The fear of the unknown again, you know, it's like, well, I, I know I need to be doing something to get out of the rut that I'm in so that I can experience life more full. But then when there's an opportunity that their first kind of reaction to it is, I don't know if I can do that, right? It's like, oftentimes, like I'll say to people, hey, you know, I, I do like doodles and things like that. Uh, maybe you should do it because I found it's really good for, for creativity and just sparking ideas that actually have nothing to do with what I'm doing, which is always interesting, right? And a lot of times people say, I, I don't know how to draw. You know, I, I, don't, I don't think I can do that. And, I, and that's the thing, right? I try to explain to them, that's not the point. It's not about being good at it. It's about doing something that stretches you, that places your cognitive frame in a different place to what it typically is in. Right. And so even within that, I would say that what I've noticed oftentimes is that when I've worked with, you know, teams and organizations is then getting them to come down to my environment, you know, in the quote unquote martial arts setting, for example, is very powerful because I'm taking them out of the norm. Right. So I guess coming back to what I was you know, just making a point on is that I think fear holds a lot of people back. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so one thing that can help in do so that you do commit to your, um, to your expansion of the mind that you do go to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, that you do the drawing aspect is that like, what is your goal? What do you want in life? Uh, if you are more connected to that, then it's easier to move towards that goal and then break it up just in little steps. So it can be like running a marathon, creating your own application, like an own app. It can, all, it can be all of these things, but these are like too gigantic, too big. Uh, but if it, it would be like running a marathon, just, just putting on your shoes and going out, even when it's raining, that's already a victory, man. Or when you're doing some, some research on your app, taking screenshots of other apps, just putting in the work and doing that in a very uh, structured way, that can also help. Um, because just saying to people, yeah, expand your mind, yeah, why? 
but if there's a goal like lying behind it, then it makes it easier to um, yeah, sort of reprogram yourself. And there are other tricks that you can apply as well. So a lot of people often say, yeah, I can't do that. But then you can also update your own vocabulary, your own operating system with words like, how might we? How might I? You know, it already brings you in a different mindset in, yeah, how might I start to learn how to draw? Hmm, maybe I can buy a book. Maybe I can look up a video online. Or, But maybe drawing isn't for you. Maybe you need to take photographs. Maybe you need to build games in uh, or stuff in Minecraft. Doesn't really matter as long as you're aware that you're, yeah, consciously building on expanding that mind. And it's fun, by the way. So you need to f- find what is fun and what is what is tickling, fun and scary. You know, that's that's a perfect combination. Yeah, absolutely. What is your perspective on? why there is and does seem to be a meaning crisis in this in this day and age i think part has to do with um our educational system which teaches more about compliance i think in corporate environments yeah your people are more treated like um like a cog in in a gigantic machine it's not it's not so human maybe even our uh, the compartmentalization but maybe even also our more and more focus on data through you know data is the truth that's sort of what a lot of people believe um so if we've proven something with data that becomes the reality so there's little room for exploration little room for intuition little room for creativity in a sense um but data is just an approximation of of a reality at that specific moment, you know, and uh, on that specific case, and it's full of assumptions, full of errors. And um, so a bit of a robotization and that we have lost our connection with what inspires us. Mm. It's interesting you talked about the data. So I think it was last year, I had a, a meeting with a government organization and they were concerned about the well-being of their employees. And I put forward this idea of taking them through a mindfulness experience and because that's my background. That was what I uh, did my PhD in. And exactly what you said happened. So near the end of my discussion, couple of questions and answers, the main kind of thrust of the conversation shifted to how do we measure this? Right? How do we measure it? Um, because we need to be able to show that it's, that it's of value. And I said this, I think that's part of the problem is that we don't have to measure everything. And if you really need some kind of feedback, the feedback that you could get is just by asking people. You can ask them and say, was that experience that you went through, that training, did it have any impact on your job? And you could do that systematically over a couple of months, right? So you could maybe ask in the first week, you know, after the first week, maybe a month later, and maybe a couple of months later. And at the same time, while you're doing that, if that you're not getting the feedback that you were hoping for, then you can ask, why is that, right? But that's not what they wanted to hear. So it kind of like ended there. And it's, it's really sad because I think a lot of these things we are talking about, the meaning, building meaning frameworks, are always going to be heavily subjective. And we need to look at it at a very different way than we do right now. Because if we're going to 
attack every single one of these problems that we have on a subjective level in insisting that we have some data to back it up. I think a lot of things just fall through the cracks and we don't ever get to really dealing with the real systemic problems. Yeah, 100%. You can't uh, objectify subjectivity. You can't really put a number on, on emotion on, yeah, well, you can, but it doesn't work. And that's what we've been doing. You know, you've got these net promoter scores in companies or how happy people are. But yeah, again, it's more a move towards robotization and towards, you know, uh, getting the check mark. Yes, we've done that. Now we don't have to communicate with each other anymore, you know, because we went through the program, we got our grade. Um, but I'm not sure if that is that is living. I think living is you know, having critical discourse with each other, going through emotional things, exploring. And yeah, you, you hardly see that in, in organizations. And if you combine all of these things, you know, that makes you numb. That makes you stale. It makes you stagnant. Um, a lot of people feel unvalued. And that is also, I think, part of why, why we're stuck. And then people wonder why we're not innovative. <laughs> well, you don't even take care of the, of the foundation. You don't even take care of people. So yeah, maybe start there. Let's explore a little bit your work that you're doing. So let's say somebody's listening to this program, that maybe they're a leader or a manager. They're in a, a position where they can make some changes in the direction we've been talking about. They have that power to do that. What would that look like? I mean, what would you, what would your process be when you come in? Like, what are you actually looking to to do and change? Yeah, uh, I think a lot of it, it is about uh, individual empowerment. Uh, we're going to find out what the individual frameworks of people are. You know, and the frameworks define how you how you view the world, how you look at the world, and how we can expand these frames of mind. Then we create the right environment for, for critical discourse, for experimentation. So it's a, a part is mindset and a part is process. We can do this physically, like with people in group sessions, we can do this online. And we also have a beautiful online program, which creates this cognitive reset. And we also have a, a scan, which you can apply sort of on your the entirety of your company to find out what people find meaningful, what their mental state is. And then we can give them like practical advice, how they can you know, create the environment and the structure that they need to flourish. So we've got, yeah, almost anything that you can imagine. So we pull out all the stops to to create this change. And we actually succeeded, like in these large corporates, like, like at Heineken, like uh, at Chanel, at eBay, you know, you see people opening up, you see, mm. and then they start to connect again with each other. And they're like, oh, I wasn't aware that you had that issue. Yeah, I had that issue. And then, Everyone has the same issue. So if you just open up and decide with each other that you can change that situation, I think that is uh, very essential. But it starts with inviting people to, 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 yeah, to, to invite them, to bring them in, ask them what they care about, what energizes them, and then give them the tools to, to further evolve. So in a way, what you're really saying there, it's giving people permission to be human. Permission is, I think, the most essential word. Yeah. And then, then the human aspect as well. Yeah. Mm, mm. How, so explain to me, Robert, like, how did you come to this? Like, I mean, I find, I find it interesting, right? Like, you know, why, why adaptability? Like, how did you get to this? Yeah. Well, it was, I'm not sure if it was really my decision. It was more 
like the world was calling me, like it needed this. So I've been working in, in corporate and startup innovation for over a decade. And I was always flowing through life, you know, starting up new companies, having fun. But I saw no one having fun with the people I work with. I saw companies become stagnant, people unhappy. Now, there were People say to me personally that they wouldn't mind breaking their legs so they could be sitting at home. It's like, it's horrendous, the state of, of enterprise, state of corporates. And it's the same with universities, where you see that people are taught skills which are no longer relevant, so they leave school. I was like, it just pissed me off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the short version. It pissed me off. And I felt like, you know, we know what works. We know how to create mental space. We know how to expand our frame of mind. We know how to take care of our body so we take care of our mind. It's, it's all out there. Uh, and we just combine it in a very, um, yeah, playful, explorative way. And then I think what we add is that people can get this, connect again to what they find meaningful and create this cognitive reset. In a sense, we brainwash you uh, to think more open. Uh, for the benefit of yourself and the people around you. What is your personal practice? How do you stay within the space that we're talking about? Stay adaptable, right? Because it's very difficult, right? When you have society, as we've been talking about, set up in a certain way, which is everything pretty much the opposite to what we've been discussing. The question really is, how do you stay true within that within that framework, within the system that wants you to be the complete opposite, that wants you to toe the line, stay in your box, don't step outside of that box and just pretty much, you know, do as you're told. Yeah, I think it starts with embracing that not everyone is going to like it. Uh, it starts with just being okay with that, with the, uh, with the ambiguity. I think it starts with following your intuition because I think a lot of people know Uh, what works for them and then of course we have our online program and a couple of thousand people go through that so we keep on iterating and keep on experiencing new things and also learning from those people when they say what works for them and what doesn't so we keep on iterating and i'm always exposed to the things that, that that i vibe with that resonate with me that is that has always been my default but for me the main things are uh, art. Art has always been like this, this threat uh, throughout my life. I create art myself. I always expose myself to art. Um, I need to work out at least four times a week. So I do a lot of uh, rock climbing. Uh, I go. I do yoga as well. So often start with a, with a yoga session, just 15 minutes in the morning. Um, I'm conscious of what I eat so that I don't eat food that clouds my mind. Um, I don't watch news. I don't watch television. Uh, I'm only connected to things that give new perspectives that are positive. And that helps. Because I notice that is, that's very true. Like you notice with people, it's like when they start latching onto something. So let's say it's kind of like a negative thing that they engaging in, maybe just even watching on YouTube, then that's where their mindset goes. And you go down this rabbit hole. And before you know it, that's all what you've been consuming. And then you wonder why that your perspective of the world isn't the kind of perspective that you would like it to be, right? So I guess just building off what we just talked about, how does a person then adapt to a world that is constantly distracting? I mean, what, what advice? I mean, you've kind of mentioned things already, but just to bring it home, like what advice would you give? Like how do I adapt to a world that is constantly distracting? 
Yeah, can I just give one brief example of how it works when you expose yourself to the negative things? So they also did research on people who were in a depression and people who are in a depression, they give their Instagram photographs a darker filter. So it's actually so that if you're in a negative mind space that you view the world in a darker way and you want to color it in a more darker way. So what is the sense to be exposed to all the things which are negative in the world, like through news, through social media? You know, what is the use to be constantly bombarded with that? That's just a question that you could ask yourself. And then look at the things that you can influence. So what can you influence? You can influence the books that you read, the people you hang out with, all of these things. But anyway, you asked about, you know, how to filter the noise, how to deal with the stuff that you're bombarded with. So it starts with, I think, in the morning or even in the evening, put your phone in flight mode. And when you wake up, try to keep it on flight mode as long as possible uh, so that you have your own conscious thoughts and that, you're, that, you have, that you can live in an active way. Use a bit of your subconscious brain to process your dreams, come up with ideas and extend that as much as possible. Uh, turn off all push notifications if you haven't done so already. Also for the work stuff, there's research by McKinsey which says that you can become 500% more effective when you get into flow states. You can only get into flow states when you're connected to what you find meaningful and when you're not interrupted. And we're constantly being up, interrupted by email, by messages, all that crap. Everything is off. Everything should be off. So you can live more of a, of a focused life. And then, yeah, ask yourself if you really need to expose yourself to 24-7 news cycles. Now, uh, maybe you can replace some of these things with the stuff that, you, that energizes you. Um, and then, of course, if you feel like totally overwhelmed, then you probably need to work out. And you've probably been sitting, sitting around for too long and you just need to run, go outside, run, do some yoga or just go for a 30 minute walk. You know? And in that way, if you make that part of, of your structure, because you, you can't do it one off. You no, know? it needs to be, become part of your system. You need to ingrain it in yourself. Like the other day, me and, me and um, a bunch of my best friends, we went out to um have a party uh, rented the villa had some fun but you just see that a lot of people have these habits you know you start you sit on the couch even when you're sitting together with your friends people scroll on their phone it's just habitual so replace the habits with habits which work for you and also be aware of what you want to reach what kind of goals do you want to connect with your friends uh, do you want to have uh, deep conversations or do you want to scroll on Instagram? You know, it's it's the yeah, it's a balance, and you decide. What's fascinating about that is that once you start taking away those distractions, you start to realize what's really been distracting you, right? So, like you know, what the things that maybe you've been running from your internal dialogues, your shadows. That's kind of an interesting thing, also. Okay. I think for a lot of people, until they do that, they don't really realize how negatively these constant distractions, as you've been talking about, impact their, their health, right? So, I mean, one of the best things that I ever did, and I'm currently on the Isle of Man, which is a beautiful part of the world, and there's amazing places to just go out in nature. And it's just the best thing to do to just go for a walk. You know, so it's not always about going and doing a workout, right? Because maybe that's not your thing, but I think everybody can go for a walk. 
And the thing is, when you go for a walk, don't be plugged in, right? Don't have your earphones in. Don't be plugged back into the into the matrix, so to speak. You know, unhook from everything. Leave it behind if you can, and just be with yourself. And I think that's the other thing is that we, as we started off the discussion, people keep giving themselves over to other things, right? And they've kind of forgotten what it actually is to spend time with themselves. And I think we kind of have to befriend ourselves again. We have to come home to ourselves, which I think is something that I desperately see is, is missing in the modern world. 100%. Uh, I'd like to add to that, it, that it might be so that it takes practice, that in the beginning it's very difficult for you and that you keep having this, this phantom feeling that you need to pick up your phone even when you don't have it with you. You know, it, could, it could be the case that it's so severe, um, but then just yeah, go for a five-minute walk and then up it to 10, to 20, to 30, and yeah, do it for a couple of weeks and see how you're feeling, because probably you'll feel better. And yeah, it sounds like um, <laughs> like a very logical thing, right, that we're talking about, but we're so segregated from, from who we are. We're so drifted off into realms of infinite scrolling and distractions uh, yeah maybe we should all just buy stocks from uh, not a good idea <laughs> currently probably but buy stocks from facebook from meta because we're just all uh, you know um, making that company bigger so it all feels like you're working for yeah for a corporate but yeah they're just mining you they're just mining your data I'm not sure if that's how you want to spend your life. The other problem, of course, is that when, and I think what you've said about just incrementally taking charge of this, you know, self-reliance, going for walks, starting with five minutes, then 10 minutes and so forth. Another reason why people don't necessarily see it from that perspective, even though, as you noted, it's quite logical, you know, start small and build up is because we live in a society of instant gratification, and we want everything now. So we expect that we should be feeling better after one walk, right? And so when we don't see the results immediately, that's when people start getting despondent. So there's also this kind of idea of a loss of practice where you have to practice something in order to achieve success in it, right? Nothing of value ever comes from immediacy. Anything of value has come through practice. And if you, everybody who's been an artist and always done something in their life of meaning, they know that it took time to get there and diligence. And exactly as you said, you don't have to start off big. You don't, I mean, you can have a goal. It's a really big goal, but I think a lot of times people want to kind of jump into the step just before the goal, not realizing that there's a whole bunch, bunch of mini steps leading up to that, right? And so each time you succeed in the five minute walk, for example, you build a little bit of confidence, you know, just a little bit of confidence. And then you can go for 10 minutes. It's a little bit more confidence, you know? And so each time you're becoming more confident to finally, before you even know, you're at the point where you want to be. And, you know, you're out there, you completely disconnected from everything. You're walking for an hour and you're feeling the benefit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, to chime in into, into your point, like every time you do something which makes you feel in the beginning a bit uncomfortable, when you've done it, celebrate. You put your hands in the air, like really bodily celebrated. When I do rock climbing and when I do something which I think crazy scary, you know, I'm, I'm celebrating afterwards like a crazy person on my own. Because I'm just internalizing what I've done. And I teach myself that I am able to do these sort of things. And yeah, that has helped me so much. Also, 
I've given lectures to like three, 5,000 people, European Commission, crazy shit. But I've trained myself to be okay with these things through climbing, through kickboxing, through like this gradual exposure. And yeah, it almost feels like you create like elasticity on the soul or maybe, you know, these sort of things that I think it works in that way. So yeah, just find what works for you and just keep on pulling on that thread and, and don't stop. And don't, like you said, don't expect immediate results, although you can get that. Yeah, I think it's incredibly powerful what you said. Um, so as we come to the end, because actually we've been talking for 45 minutes already, which is pretty cool. Um, what final words of advice or motivation do you want to give the listener? What do you want to leave them with? Yeah, I think it's really easy that, uh, you know, you can fix your own shit. You know, it's up to you. Um, it's up to you to, to find your own path, to find your own route. Uh, you can listen to us, but it's about you taking action. And that's it. 